0: Growing up, the things Morgan Curtis and her dad shared in common would end up being the things that strained their relationship. They were both driven, principled, the kind of people who come up with an idea and actually commit to it. Like the year Morgan's dad came up with the swim challenge.
1: I don't remember how it came about, but my dad said he would give me 100 pounds if I swam in the ocean every single month of the year.
0: At the time, they were living in London, and they had to do this challenge even during the winter, no wetsuits allowed. Morgan was maybe 13 years old, and she was set on getting that 100 pounds. So every single month, she plunged into water that was at times ice cold, and he'd often jump right in with her.
2: So some days we'd be driving over to get the swim challenge done because it'd be the last day of the month. And it would be howling with the wind is on, the rain is coming down sideways. Oh We'd be like, God. OK, out to the beach, here we go. And uh, Why um, would
0: you do that?
2: <laughs> it was the swim challenge.
0: They kept up with it until the very last month.
1: And it was pouring rain and like windy and just like a terrible day <laughs> to be at the beach. <laughs> and I was like, OK, I got to do it. I can't break the streak. And I didn't have a swimsuit. I was, like, out there in my underwear.
0: Her two little brothers were usually away playing sports over the weekends. So a lot of times it was just Morgan and her dad doing their own thing from sunrise to sunset, filling the day with swimming, horse riding, cooking, gardening. John just had one big rule in life, something he tried passing down to Morgan. He'd tell her, do whatever you want to do. But...
2: Regardless of what you do, try to be extremely good at it. Mm. That's it. Those are the rules.
0: And Morgan would take that to heart in ways that would actually end up driving a wedge between her and her dad. At first, they were on the same page. They shared a lot of the same passions.
1: I was a young person who was really obsessed, you could say, with the climate crisis. That was something my dad and I really shared.
0: Her dad spent a good chunk of his career working to make sure big oil and mining companies actually followed environmental laws. And at home, Morgan was
2: doing her own part. I mean, she'd constantly be turning lights off and taking the— she'd take Mm -hmm. the brothers' light bulbs out if she caught them leaving the the lights on.
0: She was a loyal reader of National Geographic and the youngest member of a local climate justice ambassador group. And by the time she got to college, she was helping organize a fossil fuel divestment campaign on campus. Eventually, Morgan and her dad even protested an oil drilling project together at that same beach where they do the swim challenge. He built a little protest sign that's, like, still in his kitchen on display. (laughs) But in the fall of Morgan's senior year of college, she stumbled across something that would become a major turning point in her relationship with her dad. It all started with a used car.
1: I had a kind of junky car that my dad had originally bought for me.
0: It was an old Volkswagen Passat, which ran on biodiesel. She got it her sophomore year at Dartmouth, And after two years of faithful service, it had finally broken down in the middle of the highway.
1: And I sold it for $1,500 and asked my dad, like, hey, where should I put this money? Because I knew it was his. And he was like, you can keep it, but only if you invest it in the stock market.
0: Morgan wasn't crazy about this idea. By then, she had big misgivings about the stock market. But she figured if those were her dad's terms, then she'd at least invest in renewable energy. So one day after class, alone in her apartment, she sat at her desk and opened her laptop.
1: I, like, opened myself a brokerage account. My dad taught me how to do that.
0: She entered her name, her social security number. And when I logged into the
1: account for the first time and opened it up, there was $350,000 in there.
0: Right there on her screen was an existing account an account with her name on it. So you'd essentially discovered that you had $350,000 to your name. hmm And you had no idea. I had
1: no idea. And as I look through it, it's invested in Chevron, Exxon, all the same corporations that I had been fighting and organizing against. And I was like, what is going on? And I just, like, hit refresh and, like, stared at it. Like,
0: what's going on? Wait, what happened?
1: Well, I called my dad, and he was basically like, oh, no, you weren't supposed to know about that.
0: Now, Morgan did know that her family had money, like, a lot of money, her parents were both graduates of fancy business schools, and she'd grown up in London in a big five-bedroom Victorian house filled with family heirlooms of antiques and silver. They'd go skiing twice a year in Switzerland. Then on the weekends, they'd retreat to their second home, a 400-year-old house out in the country. That kind of wealth. But what she didn't know was that she was in possession of a piece of the family pie, which for most people would be amazing. It'd be great. But not for Morgan. Morgan. How she responded to this money and what she tried to eventually do with it, well, it did not go over well with dad. Was there ever a period of time where you were worried that this would have an impact on your relationship?
2: Oh, it has. Yeah. It's not a worry. It's a fact. It just crowds out the sun. I'm Erima Hreis,
0: and welcome to This is Uncomfortable, a show from Marketplace about life and how money messes with it. In the U.S., 40% of the wealth is controlled by just 1% of households, like Morgan's. And it tends to stay that way, as families with a lion's share keep passing their wealth down and down and down. For generations, Morgan's family has carried out this pattern. But then, into their uninterrupted line of wealth, stepped Morgan. Her money choices have completely reshaped not only her relationship with her dad, but they may upend about 150 years of inherited family wealth. This week, we go with Morgan as she tries to turn the beloved American ideal of wealth completely inside out. Morgan hung up the phone, fresh off the discovery of this account staring at well over a quarter million dollars, 350000 that she didn't actually want.
1: My reaction to it was very much like, get it away from me. Mm.
0: Like,
1: I don't want this. I don't want to have to deal with this. As if, like, somehow my wealth and class privilege was, like, something that I could, like, wash off.
0: The account, it came from her dad's own money that he'd invested for her as a college fund. But then her grandfather ended up paying for school. So it just sat there and grown. And by the time Morgan found out about it, she felt uneasy about the family wealth for a while. Growing up, Morgan had been taught a lot of lessons about money. Like the first time her dad talked to her about the stock market when she was a kid. He sat her down by the fire and said, "You know that jam smuckers? Well, we own a tiny piece of it. It's called a stock."
1: So he was like, when people buy a lot of Smuckers, that's good for us because the stock will go up and we'll get more. And it's a good thing to own a small piece of a big company.
0: And then there were the entrepreneurship lessons. Morgan's brother wanted to set up a lemonade stand with her at their weekend house. And for most kids, that would be just like a cardboard sign, a pitcher of lemonade, paper cups. But not in Morgan's family.
1: My dad really wanted us to learn how to run a business properly, Mm. I guess. And so we'd, my brother went and got a food safety certificate where he was like literally the only kid in the class. And then we went to like the wholesale fruit distributors to buy like a crate of lemons.
0: But the same way a lot of us don't totally understand what's different about our families until we're older, because we just grew up enveloped in that version of the world, Morgan didn't totally understand just how rich they were when she was little. She spent most of her time surrounded by kids like her, wealthy kids who went to her private school and lived in big, lavish homes. One of the few times she'd step outside of her bubble was when she'd go to the stables to ride horses. And it was there that she had one of her first big wake-up calls. She'd made a friend when she was 10 years old, the year she'd gotten a pony as a birthday present. When Morgan had to go back home to her prep school during the week— This friend would help ride the pony, make sure it got exercise. And when the two were together, they'd gossip, goof around, you know, typical kid stuff. But when they were in high school, her friend suddenly mentioned something in passing.
1: She just, like, left school at 16 to start working to support her mom with the bills. Hmm. Single mom.
0: Her friend had just kind of mentioned that she needed to help her mom pay rent. But it hit Morgan hard, made her realize they lived in completely different worlds.
1: It was really clear to me that I didn't have to do that. And at 16, Mm -hmm. I was being oriented towards, you know, you can focus on school. It's the most important thing right now is to get into a good university. And don't worry, that's going to be paid for, too.
0: Morgan was slowly crashing into the reality that the world can be deeply unfair just by chance. You can get lucky or be dealt a tough hand for no reason except for the lottery of your birth. And Morgan had drawn a winning ticket. But instead of feeling lucky, it felt wrong.
1: It felt kind of like a, just a personal or like individual unfairness that I wasn't fully able to grasp the extent of like, oh, this is systemic economic inequality and... This is actually how things are set up to be.
0: As she got older, she got more and more focused on the world's injustices. First, it was the climate crisis. But soon enough, that expanded to social justice activism. By the time she got to college, this had pretty much become her calling. She was that student holding protest signs in the Quad, driving down to D.C. to march on the Capitol, collecting petition signatures in the student office. But as vocal as Morgan was about her activism, she kept quiet about her money.
1: It was easy to fall into the story of, like, there's us and there's them. And, like, the us is, like, the people and the them is the wealthy people. And it was like, oh, can I get away with being in the us? Because I sure don't want to be in the them.
0: When her classmates at Dartmouth talked about financial aid or how they were trying to get funding for internships, Morgan avoided bringing attention to herself. But if people asked her, she'd be forthright about growing up privileged. She just didn't talk numbers, didn't tell people that she came from a millionaire family. She was following the first rule of wealth she'd been taught, which is that you don't talk about your wealth.
1: I definitely remember being told as a kid, like, never talk about money with anyone. Mm. And so I think that was imprinted in me for a long time of, like, just, like, be quietly grateful and keep on with it.
0: Oh, your dad would tell you that?
1: Yeah, I was considered rude to talk about money.
0: But everything started to change when she stumbled into her $350,000 account. That day, when she discovered it, she called up her dad and was like, "Okay,
1: well, what do we do? (laughs) Like,
0: what? what do we do now?
1: This can't go one day further invested as it is.
0: It wasn't just that the money was invested in fossil fuels. It was what the money itself represented. She had grown up surrounded by these titans of capitalism.
1: I grew up with, like, oil paintings of ancestors on the wall. Like, old white men in fancy frames.
0: But she had become skeptical of capitalism altogether. Not just the money her dad earned as a consultant, but the whole family line of wealth he'd inherited, and how that money was gained.
1: Everything from... Shipping, banking, a sugar plantation in Cuba, Mm. mining, and, yeah, a lot of those stories weren't ones that were told to me, but ones that I had to learn by myself, like, what really were these ancestors up
0: to? She eventually went searching for her own answers, going through family documents in this dusty cupboard at her house, researching family stories online, stories she'd never heard before. Like, she learned that a great, great, great uncle had been the director of a gold mine in Honduras, which would end up leading to deforestation, water pollution, lethal working conditions. And there was this coffee table book in her parents' living room that described another ancestor who had enslaved African people.
1: Interestingly, my brother is named after this particular ancestor. And so I went to talk to my brother and he was pretty upset Mm -hmm. and... Then we asked our mom, like, why did you name him after this person? Mm. And she was like, well, I didn't know.
0: It devastated her to learn that these were the ways, at least in part, that her wealthy family got their wealth. Like,
1: oh my God, here it is. Like, this connection between my family and this suffering
0: Now that she understood what perhaps those men in those frames and others had done to get the money, and better understood systemic inequities in the world, she just couldn't stomach doing what so many generations before her had done. She couldn't be quiet about the money anymore. And you can argue that this is where Morgan's story really starts. This wasn't just about her ancestors anymore. This was about her. Her money, her complicity, her choices. Maybe she couldn't stop the rest of the family's wealth from accumulating. But now she had a piece of the wealth herself. And with that, she could do something different. So you start realizing, like, oh, my God, I have all this money. And then do you remember one of the first conversations you had with your dad about what you wanted to do?
1: I remember telling him that I wanted to give it
0: all away. All of it?
1: Yeah. (laughs)
0: After the break, Morgan upends generations of family tradition. And then later, she sits down to talk with her dad.
3: Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org academy.
0: When Morgan says she wants to give away all the money, she... Literally means all of it. Every last cent of that $350,000 in her account, down to zero.
1: I just became increasingly clear of, like, I don't want this money. I don't need this money. Like, I already have so many privileges in this lifetime. And so if there's something, yeah, better, even healing, that this money could get up to... That's what I want to do.
0: But was there a part of you that was like, okay, I'm going to donate a lot of this, but I'm going to at least keep a little nest egg for myself? No. (laughs) No,
1: yeah. No.
0: Morgan wanted to redeploy the money. She was looking mostly into climate justice groups and indigenous and Black-led organizations working on healing and land restoration Basically, communities she felt had been harmed by her ancestors. But generations upon generations of her family had followed this cardinal family rule of passing on wealth, not giving it away. And now, not only did she tell her dad, I want to give away this $350,000, but also anything you're thinking of giving me down the line, yeah, plan on me donating all of that, too.
2: At times... It does feel like a personal attack. Now, that might say more about me than about Morgan, and I recognize that. But, it, yeah, you're, you know, I'm caught in the firing line between an ancestral tree that I, you know, I didn't create. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a little place in it. And Morgan, you know, she's elected to just say, well, you know, everything was fine up till this point, and I'm changing it.
0: For John, the thought of giving away so much money... It's not just that it ran against everything he'd learned about how to manage finances. It's that John had grown up being taught that the family wealth was a kind of stewardship, that he has a duty to shepherd it from one generation to the next and to honor that legacy, not feel ashamed of it.
2: If you follow it through and you have, you know, a whole long line of custodians um, passing money down the generations, that's the value. It's not, you know, just consuming it, um, or squandering it, or giving it away, or gambling and losing it. It's that just quiet duty to past generations of being yet another custodian.
0: Sounds like it's a source of pride, right?
2: I think growing up, it was that way. I think Morgan's, you know, trying to turn the table on that um, mm-hmm. and look at, you know, all the injustice that may or may not have occurred. But I think for me, it was a sense of some responsibility mm. to say, you know, you should probably accomplish something if you're in this tree.
0: Morgan and John look at the same money and see very different things. The gold mine director in Honduras.
2: I'm like, well, that branch of the family, that's way over there on the right hand side, and, you know, there's no tracking line.
0: In other words, that guy is so loosely tied up in the bloodline, it doesn't really count. They shouldn't have to answer for his exploitation.
2: The fossil fuel investors? The oil industry as it was being created probably looked like a good investment. And I think people didn't have all that much awareness about the monopoly problems and certainly didn't understand carbon emissions. And so you could rewrite it today and just say, well, you know, that's, that's evil. You know, I'm not sure anybody understood that in 1910 or 1917, or whatever the right year is. Different
0: context. They just didn't know what we know today. Who knows what decisions we would have made with the same information. The slave ownership? Yes, he agrees. That was awful. There's no excusing it. But he also feels like it doesn't make sense to condemn the entire family legacy for having participated in the systemic horrors of the time. I feel like that
1: becomes, like, the core of the debate. It's, like, me being, like we have a responsibility to do something about this. And my dad may be agreeing that those things are bad, but not feeling like he has to be personally accountable.
0: But even if Morgan wanted to be personally accountable with her piece of the pie, she couldn't. That account with the $350,000 was in her name, but it still was under her dad's control. All the listed stocks were grayed out, impossible to click on. So for the time being, the money just sat there untouched, and growing. Meanwhile, Morgan graduated from Dartmouth. Her parents had always told her that after college, she was on her own. Any inheritance money or gift, including the account, was meant to grow for the future, not to use for everyday expenses. Morgan had an Ivy League degree in environmental engineering, so if she wanted to make a bit of her own money, she definitely could have. But after graduation, she was pretty much living in her car between protest camps.
2: So she gets out of university, spent years telling me what she wasn't going to do after university, which basically sounded like go work in the corporate world.
0: Instead, Morgan moved into this intentional community in Oakland. Essentially, it's this multiracial, cross-class, interfaith housing nonprofit. It's got over 30 people, and folks can choose to give whatever amount they can to pay rent each month. The whole ethos is rooted in this gift-economy, anti-capitalist philosophy.
2: She ended up in an intentional community in California, And that's probably where it heated up.
1: Dad likes blaming my personality traits on California.
0: (laughs) And it's at this point, as Morgan gets deeper into her organizing, into healing and reparation work, that she starts pushing her dad about getting access to the account, which would almost always lead to arguments. They would spin round and round, her dad saying, family wealth should stay in the family. It's our duty to pass it down.
2: I'm supposed to be taking care of that.
0: And Morgan saying, How
1: dare we keep this? There's blood on this money.
0: And her dad would try to understand.
2: Morgan, you can take that point of view, but can you just walk me through that? He just didn't get it. Why is this consuming you?
1: Like, the world is so unfair. Like, I don't need any more head starts.
0: And her dad, frustrated, would reply. Morgan,
2: that's fantastic logic for you, but... Don't expect me to jump in that ship.
0: Still, Morgan persisted. She'd send him emails, link articles. What if they donated to this cause, set up a fund for that organization? Why hadn't he divested from fossil fuels yet? They'd talk about it on the phone, in person, in the car, when she'd go home for the holidays. For John, it wasn't just that he felt offended by Morgan's condemnation of their family history. He's also a dad. And like a lot of dads, he worries about her future.
2: You don't know what responsibilities are coming your direction. And you are getting rid of your rainy day money before you're even 30, before you have any children, before you have any housing. And so what future are you cutting off? In my world, $100,000, and I, it, it sounds cavalier to say this, but it's just math. It doesn't go very far. I mean, you know, I, I had a heart bypass. $100,000 would not have bought that. So Morgan has turned on its head the whole relationship with money that I grew up with. It's turned it upside down.
0: Her dad talks about this period with a mix of respect and exasperation. He saw so much conviction in his daughter, so much focus and drive to live by her beliefs, all things he tried to instill in her. What do you see in Morgan that feels like you?
2: Um, Well, I'm equally argumentative. (laughs) And so that's why the two of us could stick with an argument for a week at a time.
1: If you ask my dad, he'd probably be like, Morgan is very argumentative, but it (laughs) sometimes feels like he's the only person in the world that I argue with.
0: About four years had passed since Morgan discovered that count. And it had now grown to half a million dollars. And pretty much zero of it had been donated. Although she did convince her dad to finally divest from fossil fuels. By this point, she technically should have been able to do what she wanted with the account. She was now a legal adult. But that would require some paperwork and maneuvering on John's
2: part. Uh, Well, it's just technical, me dragging my feet. and, um, And you can imagine, based on the context of the conversation, I'm not in any rush.
0: Their relationship had grown extremely tense. It was so bad that Morgan remembers one day when she was visiting home in London, that she asked her mom to help mediate a conversation with her dad, just to clear the air. They all sat down in the living room together. It was like an attempt to talk to each other, and then it, like, didn't go very well. Suddenly, this debate over ancestors, what to do with their family wealth, it all felt deeply personal.
1: I remember he said to me, he was like, Morgan, you keep talking about the white supremacist capitalist heteropatriarchy and, like, White, mm mm-hmm, I'm white. Capitalist, yes, that's me. Hetero, for sure. Patriarchy, I'm your father.
2: There's no way for me to get out of the way. No way to escape. Morgan says I personalized it, I probably did. Um, And and that, that I found exhausting.
0: Their relationship had been chilly for a while already. But after that, for the first time in her life, Morgan and her dad stopped talking. Weeks passed, then a whole month, then about six months. Morgan was afraid that this time, it might stay this way.
1: We've, like, been a team at different points along my life, and so being disconnected was really hard.
0: It wasn't until her family went on vacation together to Costa Rica when Morgan once again worked up the courage to end the stalemate. At this point, they were barely making eye contact. Morgan remembers walking up to her dad on the beach. She was so nervous, she sat down next to him and pretended to read, taking deep breaths, trying to find the nerve to say something. We asked Morgan and John to pick it up from here, together.
1: And then I remember the first thing I said was, hey, dad, can we talk about how this whole dad-daughter thing is going? Do you remember that?
2: I do remember you going, okay, we gotta have a talk.
0: Morgan wanted a reset. She wanted her dad to understand that she cared a lot about their relationship, and that she wanted to work through whatever they needed to work through. She says she wasn't trying to go into this as another pitch for a redistribution idea. But in that moment, after years of fighting, of impasse and silence, her dad cracked.
1: My dad said to me, okay, you can give $50,000. I was like, oh my God.
0: Her dad had finally granted her permission to give away some of the money in that account. $50,000 to a climate change organization of his choosing.
2: I remember finally just going, well, you can write the check from your account. I'm like, hmm. you're going to let me do that? And I say, well, I don't think I can stop you. But, you know, if you feel strongly about it, that's what you should do.
0: It would be her first major donation.
1: I was shocked, excited. Yeah, it was a big turning point, because it was like, okay, I actually have to do this, and what's it gonna take to do this in a good way?
0: She had no idea how to start, so she looked for help. She reached out to Resource Generation. It's this national organization of young folks from the richest 10% of families in the U.S. who, like Morgan, want to redistribute their wealth. Right now, there are more than 1,200 members, and it's growing. Connecting with like-minded rich people It was a game-changer for Morgan.
1: Just had this experience for the first time in my life of, like, previously thinking that I was, like, a Venn diagram of one between my political beliefs and my class background and suddenly being like, oh, my God, there's a lot of us.
0: Within the next couple years, Morgan managed to get her dad on board with a couple other big donations. Then, one day in November of 2020... Morgan was in her room when she saw an email pop into her inbox. It was from her dad's financial advisor.
1: And I had to read it like five times being like, does this mean what I think it means?
0: Morgan had finally been granted full access to her account.
1: And suddenly I was able to technically do whatever I wanted.
0: To date, Morgan has donated about a quarter of a million dollars. A quarter of a million dollars that was legally hers, but that she never saw as rightfully hers. She's given to Indigenous-led organizations like Run for Salmon, youth-led climate justice organizations like Sustain Us, Black-led healing projects like Led to Life. Since college, Morgan has thrown herself into this in every aspect of her life. Today, she actually makes a living coaching other wealthy people who want to redistribute their money. She earns about forty dollars to $50,000 a year and gives away half of it. And at the end of last year, Morgan started the process of taking the rest of the money in her account out of the stock market entirely. It's not growing anymore, and she'll keep redistributing it until it's gone. Morgan is the first to admit that this has been an imperfect process, balancing her values with the reality of her life, but the fact that she's still part of a rich family. And even though her dad has accepted that she has control over the account, he still has a hard time with the implications of it.
2: You sacrifice that wealth and, you know, how would you feel if one of your children couldn't go to college or university because you didn't have any savings and the child couldn't win a scholarship?
1: That could theoretically be sad, (laughs) but I'm willing for me and my kids to be in the sector of society that doesn't have wealth and just figuring it out along with all the other kids. And there was something about being in college and having it all paid for that I think it also had me take college too much for granted.
2: You still have the opportunity to pay the family back more. It's no <laughs>
0: problem. <laughs> well, I, I hear some worry in your voice, John. Is that what that is?
2: It's it's just the it's a simple idea of unknowns. Morgan's making a sacrifice of an unknown and it's okay you know it's her call and frankly whether I agree with it or not it's, um, it's legally her call that the challenge of you getting rid of that money is that I earned it um, and I, I could have done lots of other things I mean I could have bought lots of new pairs of skis instead of putting that money in your name with my earnings and so now it's being put to different use than I had intended I've gotten over it tough
1: I'm curious, Dad, when you say that about the new pair of skis, if there's anything that I have done and am doing with that money that feels good to you. Like, oh, yeah, I would rather have it funding those indigenous people returning to their land than have had a new pair of skis 20 years ago.
2: No, no, Morgan, I was going to say I got a birthday coming up. <laughs>
1: Seriously, though, are Like, is there anything about me redistributing it that feels good to you at all? Or is it all like, oh, I wish I'd spent it?
2: It's not even spending it. It's just, you know, my causes might not be your causes.
0: In fact, there is a lot of overlap between what Morgan cares about and what John cares about. You know, they're both committed to protecting the environment. John has spent the last decade of his life financing the rescue of a botanic garden and directing it with no salary. He also did divest from fossil fuels, and he's in favor of a wealth tax. But it's like those overlaps aren't enough to smooth over this fundamental friction between them, this impasse where Morgan condemns the money and John doesn't. And Morgan hasn't just changed the game for herself. She has changed it for her whole family, Because the thing that they haven't spoken too much about, the big fat elephant in the room, is what Morgan's redistribution means for the rest of the money she was once upon a time set to inherit.
2: There's an old assumption in my family that was called the, you know, take whatever it is and divide by the number of kids you have. That was the old way. Yeah, I don't think we've spent a whole lot of time on what the future looks like.
1: No, I think you've said that you're thinking about it.
2: I don't have a well-drafted will. That, that starts to really, you know, stare at some of these questions. You know, the track you've taken is put, um, you know, new questions on the table, um, which I don't have all the answers for.
0: Well, Morgan, I know that this is, you know, kind of a heavy question, but I, I do think listeners will wonder this. Um, how would you feel if you didn't get any inheritance
1: I just, I don't want to find that out in the weeks or months after you're gone, dad. (laughs) Like, I don't want to both be like grieving losing you and suddenly learning what you've decided. I would much rather choose together while you're still alive and understand your perspective and your decision and not have it have to be like a mystery or a shock when I don't have you to talk to about it.
2: Oh, yeah, I'm, I am I get that. I'm not assuming it's going to be a, a, a shock reveal. That's good. <laughs> I guess, I mean, there's another factor that's really important, which is you got two brothers and they're different. That's a big factor for me. It's just the, the mix up of wealth and the relationship between you and your brothers, I don't, I It's much rather you guys just, you know, go for bike rides and just be people together, be siblings, as opposed to, you know, having some big argy-bargy around money.
1: I just think the best thing we can do is talk openly about it now (laughs) rather than pretending it's not happening and then arguing about it after you're gone.
0: Hearing Morgan and John talk, it's clear that this is all still really hard and really unresolved. Like, even at one point during their conversation about inheritance, Morgan tried to make a case to her dad.
1: What I think, though, is that there is overlap between the things you care about, Dad, and the things that I care about. And, like, what if we and maybe even my kids get to collaborate on that over the course of your lifetime? That sounds much more interesting to me than waiting until you're yeah. gone. And it sounds yeah, no,
2: but th- this much is more these... like a
1: legacy and like custodianship to collaborate yeah, I with future generations is,
2: I think, than doing it by jokingly, yourself. Jokingly, this is what I call the, you know, holding hands around a fire and giving all dad's money away until he starts crying and everybody has this epiphany of happiness.
0: I think part of what this boils down to, the thing that makes it so hard to reach any sort of compromise, is that it's not just a battle over what to do with the money. It's a battle over stories. What story John and Morgan choose to tell about their family and their legacy. Which story will win out in the end, and who will continue telling it in the future. I guess what I see is it's,
1: in some ways, the beginning of a story. It's like the beginning of our story of our family no longer standing with some of the status quo around wealth hoarding. It's the beginning of our family being like, oh, we want to be part of building a more just world. And so when I think of many generations from now, I don't think they'll look back and be like, damn, like Morgan lost all the money. <laughs> I think they'll look back and be like, wow, our family took part in land theft and in slavery and in global business. And then we became part of the healing of those things. And the story will just look different. It I,
2: won't be over. <laughs> that's, the, that's the story you want to write for your family, your descendants. And you may have somebody else who wants to write a different story. I mean, it's just you got a different relationship with that tree than I have. It's okay. I I feel a lot of responsibility looking at that family tree to try to, you know, uh, make a difference, make a contribution, you know, do something of of import to, you know, continue some legacy. You feel responsibility is just a different one. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I definitely similarly feel a lot of responsibility. And it's also about legacy. But it's about
0: shifting.
2: I'm okay. You, you take that responsibility, do your maximum with it, and you're free to do that. I would like the same freedom.
0: Their conversation lasted for almost three hours. And throughout it, I could hear the struggle in each of their voices, trying to build common ground while also standing for what they believe in. Especially for her dad. There's resistance. But you can also tell he wants to be a supportive father. So he tells Morgan, do what you'd like. Basically, to you, you,
2: I mean, go for it. Is the uh, I <laughs> go for it, move as much money as you can. You've got check writing capacity, you know, off you go.
1: Well, I would say that feels new to me today. <laughs> Just the off you go, go for it sort of message is one I have not received before.
2: Maybe you haven't heard it, but I keep. You know, the, I, over and over again, it's, you know, I don't mind what you do. Just do it really, really well. That's where I'm at. So I'm, what am I starting to admire is um, it's starting to look like you might be doing extremely well.
1: Mm. Thanks, Dad. <laughs>
0: All right. That is all for this week's show. We are so excited to be back and we'll have another new episode next Thursday. In the meantime, if you want more This Is Uncomfortable, you can do that by signing up for our newsletter. Each week I write about what's on my mind and the team puts together a really solid list of recommendations of things to read and watch and listen to. You can subscribe at marketplace.org slash comfort. Also, if you have any thoughts about this episode, if it brought up anything for you that you want to share, we'd love to hear it. You can always email us at uncomfortable at marketplace.org. And if you want to know more about Morgan and her work, you can check out her website at morganhcurtis.com. Our team is me, Rima Hreis, Donna Tam, Peter Balanon-Rosen, Phoebe Unterman, and Camila Kerwin. Camila Kerwin lead produced this episode. Megan Dietry is our senior producer. Our intern is Serena Chow. Our editor is Karen Duffin. Tony Wagner is our digital producer. Sound design and audio engineering by Drew Jostad. Zitara Yevas is the executive director of On Demand. And our theme music is by Wonderly. Also, special thanks this week to Pierce Hunt and Maria Mayotte from Resource Generation. This is Uncomfortable is funded in part by the Sci-Sims Foundation, which supports advances in education, scientific research, and the arts. All right, I'll catch y'all next week.